Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show, and watch your life grow. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show. Um, as many of you know, one of my favorite shows uh, uh, it comes on uh, TV One, uh, and um, uh, it was called Unsung. And I was watching uh, an episode uh, that featured uh, the late, great David Ruffin, and I was intrigued uh, to uh, see uh, his uh, wife, uh, uh, on there talking about uh, their lifestyle uh, and their legacy. And I decided to reach out to her and have her on the show because she has uh, an incredible book uh, called uh, Delivered from Temptation, which I think is a wonderful play on words. Uh, Jenna Sapia Ruffin, how are you, my dear? Good evening. Hi, Philippe. Um, I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And let, me, let me correct something right away. We were not married. You were not married. That's correct. You no, were not married. I am. But uh, I'm you not were, his wife. You were you were in a relationship long enough to what? Well, we had. Uh, they they like to call me long term, uh, live in common law wife, mother of his only son, or something like that. Something like that. Well. Um, I remember in our first conversation, we covered the gamut. I mean, we went everywhere. Uh, and it was a fantastic conversation I had with you. It was an a, a eye-opening uh, conversation. And it was also empowering on many different levels. It was empowering because you really got the chance to speak to women about domestic violence, domestic abuse, uh, being in a relationship with a celebrity, and all of the things that come with that, and uh, then the tragic uh, end. Uh, so we're going to kind of go around uh, a lot of these things because you have an incredible uh, life story, uh, at least uh, for those years that you were together. Uh, and uh, the beauty uh, of it all is that uh, you were blessed with a phenomenal son. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. So first, let's uh, take me back a little bit. Uh, where are you from, Dina? Uh Born in Baltimore. Um, I, I've said I was born in Baltimore, but raised by Detroit, and went to school <laughs> in Baltimore. Went to school in Baltimore, but educated by Detroit. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, and when you say educated, life educated as well, is that right? Uh, no, totally. Um, <laughs> totally. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> I didn't go to any kind of in, uh, brick and mortar institute there. I was already past that point into uh, the reality. <laughs> The reality of living in Detroit and being involved with the people I was involved with at the time that I was involved with them, it was it was a uh, very uh, unique time in history. You, uh, would you say that you lived a fast life? Uh, you were a fast girl uh, and uh, wanted. To, you, you know, let's just break it on down, uh, Jenna. Let's. 
Let's, we're going back in the past. We're not talking about the present. We're talking about the past. Uh, but you wanted a bigger life. You wanted a little bit more than what Baltimore uh, offered, and, and, and so you went to Detroit. Uh, 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 wait a minute. Hold up. Back up. You asked me a, a question. Now I'm going to have to defend myself. <laughs> no, you don't. don't buy it. <laughs> you don't have to defend there. Huh? No, I was not. A, oh, no, I was not. Would not consider myself a fast girl at all. Okay. I was very naive, square, little, straight, little, innocent, straight off the bus. Just fell off the turnip truck. <laughs> That's how I got suckered in. <laughs> if I was a fast girl, I would have known what was what was going on. Well, that's I had true. No, that I had no way of knowing what I was getting into. Well, you were you were in Detroit at a magical time uh, in terms of music uh, mm-hmm. and where this country was, and uh, it was. I, I believe you. I remember you said you didn't even know who the Temptations or at least who David Ruffin was. Is that right? No, David Ruffin didn't even know who David Ruffin was. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, and the Temptations didn't know who the Temptations were. Um, the day that I met them, they'd only, I won't say they'd only been together, uh, they only had their first hit record out six months, where the, the way you do the things you do. And David mm. was only with the group six months at that point. Mm. So he was still singing background. He was just trying to find his way in, in the group, find his place in the group. Of course, he'd been on his own singing successfully for God knows how many years before that, probably mm-hmm. since he was 14, and he mm-hmm. was, what, 22 when I met him. Mm. So, yeah, so, uh, but, you know, so he had just turned 22, in fact. His birthday okay. was January, and the song came out in January, and he got with the group in January. This was 1964. So we met in June, and we met in June, and that's back Father's Day that year, June 21st, 1964. Okay. So, no, I didn't, I had no idea who they were. Um, In fact, I was kind of dragged to this avenue, I mean, this venue, it was like, uh, they don't really have them anymore in the, I don't know how to describe it, it was like a beach Thing with a pavilion and um, (laughs) a stage, and uh, you know everything went on in the same place. It was called Indianapolis, Maryland, called Cars Beach. And my friends kind of dragged me there. I didn't even know what I was going there for. Um, But lo and behold, the it wasn't the Motown or the Motortown Review only because there was they were there, but there was like about. 20 other acts there, too, everything from Chuck Jackson to um, Inez and Charlie Fox and uh, Mitty Collier and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. So not only did I not know even wh- who he was or who they were, I didn't even know I was going to a show. I thought I was going to the beach. Now, how old were you and when you met David? How old were you 20. when you said David was 22? And you, okay, you were 20? 20, yeah, I was 20. And... um so one it's an all day affair. So in a matter of time it became obvious because the, I didn't know that I knew the owner of the place, but evidently I did. He saw me and he motioned me to come backstage. I mean, well it wasn't exactly a backstage, but whatever it was, it was behind the scenes. Um but before that happened, um 
there was like a bunch of acts. Chuck Jackson was a big thing that year. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cry. I don't want to cry was a big hit. Um, He was the big star of the show, not the Temptations. Mm-hmm. All I know is there was this one little, this group came out with this, I call it a flash of white. And um, David saw me from the stage. Well, yeah, it, were, I, it would have been easy to spot me, not because I was the uh, opposite of the fly in the buttermilk, but because I was sitting up on top of some rafters or some, I don't know what you call it, scaffolding or something. Anyway, they came on, did their one little song or their two little songs, whatever it was, I don't even know. And I didn't know who they were. And then this, the owner at the same time saw me, had me come backstage or back there, and I was standing back there, and David was trying to talk to me while I was trying to watch Chuck Jackson throw his clothes up in the rafters and women screaming and falling over each other trying to get there up to get his clothes out of the rafters. So, mm-hmm. I mean, my mouth was hanging open. I was... I was flabbergasted, and I was not listening to David. He was like a little stand look back behind me to the side trying to whisper in my ear, and I he was irritating me because I was trying to watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> and so finally when it was over, and I was like, uh, yeah, what, you know? And he, he was like, uh, um... So, I don't know, we had conversation, and I started laughing. He was funny because he was so persistent. It made me laugh. And, uh, well, and like I said, it was an all-day thing. So, in between shows, the guy, the groups would, the acts would go out and, and get eat, eat on the beach. There was all kind of, hot, you know, food stands. There was a tiki bar where you could drink and get chicken, <laughs> whatever else. <laughs> I say chicken because I remember one particular incident where uh, Eddie or David told me that David had told him while he was watching me eat fried chicken, I'm going to marry her. So that's why I knew it was chicken. I don't know what else there was. But <laughs> but um, it went on all day long. And... Yeah, and I never I never knew who he was. So he talked me into walking down the beach with him and getting some. We rode the rides and we got on. Uh, we had some. Uh, ice cream in a waffle cone thing, and, you know, we swing on the the big swings that swing around. It's an amusement park, too. It's everything all in one place. So finally, like hours later, he says, well, i got to go back. And I said, go back where? He goes, to the show. I go, and what are you you talking about? Uh, I said, what are you, the light man or something? He says, no. You remember that group in the white? I said, yeah. He says, I'm the lead singer. Of course, he wasn't at that time, but I guess he had a vision. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, no, I wasn't being facetious at all. I really had no idea who he was. So, we, you know, that's how it started. Okay, so so take it from there. Um, <clears throat> the, walk in the, <clears throat> the walk on the beach, uh, I assume very, you know, uh, very oh, romantic uh, or, or possibly. So, so what 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 began to transpire where you guys uh, began to become a couple? Hmm. Well, I guess he had um, a plan all along, <laughs> and um, by the end of the day, he was. Uh, I, it, I, it was not love at first sight for me. I was not in love with David. 
or like, you know, I couldn't, I was not like, oh, I can't walk away from him. But he invited me to a birthday party that night, I guess back at the, uh, someplace, like kind of a central location, maybe a hotel where they were all staying, I don't even know. But um, it was supposed to be Millie Collier's birthday. And of course, and I went, and of course, there was no birthday party. Mm. So back in those days, they were like two to a room, and uh, Paul was his roommate. And we were standing down by the jukebox, David and I, singing. Uh, I thought it was so strange that he kept playing Temptation music. There was really only one song at the time. Like I say, the way you do the things you do. But, you know, when I look back and knowing David the way I came to know David, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I, and, of course, you would. So we were both standing in front of the jukebox. I mean, we were. it was so weird. Um, I could tell you what we were both wearing, and we were both wearing something similar. It was just strange. And, of course, he was wearing his do-rag. And... Um, um, so we were standing in front of the jukeboxes, typical jukebox 1964, um, and I remember him, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I remember him saying, oh, you sing all the parts. <laughs> yeah, so we were singing to the song, and so. <laughs> um, so, okay, um, obviously you guys start dating, uh, and... Mm-hmm. Where where did he where did it come in? Because first of all, back in the uh, uh, in the '60s, uh, you know, you guys were considered to be a taboo relationship. Is that correct? Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I found we are. I think we found that out later. Uh, I do remember asking him if I was the first white girl he ever dated because I didn't want to be anybody's novel. And uh, he said no, and, um, you know, I didn't know whether to, what to make of that because he, he wasn't the first black guy I ever dated either. And um, I remember later, many, many years later, what was it, around 1992 or three or something like that, Otis telling me that they used to call him White David. And I <laughs> – so – Anyway, yeah, I guess we were, but we really didn't, neither one of us thought along those lines, but people made us uh, aware that, mm-hmm. that yeah. That what were some of those things that happened? Um, well, I can tell you, they used to always be asking me what I was, and I remember, I mean, not just that, the, the group, but people outside of that, before that day, and on that day, they were asked, oh, not that day, but then three weeks later, fast forward three weeks later, he had had me come and meet him in New York at another one of those kind of places called Freedom Land, um, which no longer exists either. And I remember the conversations were along the lines of um, somebody asked, like, what are you, what are you? And Paul said, she's Geechee, uh, what, she, you know, what did he say? She's Geechee, paper sack brown. Leave her alone. And I remember uh, Melvin sitting at a table with two girls, and they were laughing and, and talking. I guess they were talking about me, apparently. But guess what? I had haters before haters was cool. <laughs> and um, and that, and so I walked past the table, and Melvin said to me, uh, he said to David, uh, what did he say to David? Uh, 
Now he said to me, what are you, are, what are you, something like that. I said, whatever you're having today or something, I don't even remember. He was like, are you, are you um, black or white? I said, whatever you want me to be, something like that. And I just kept on walking. And as we turned the corner out of sight, David, we stopped. David and I were walking together. And, he, and we stopped, and he took me by the shoulder and turned me around and t- face to face. And he said, damn, baby, what are you? So what I am is half Italian and um, no part black as far as I know. But, you know, I don't know. It's always been an issue. It's always been for other people, not for us. It's always been really important to other people, apparently. But, yeah, back in those days, there were times. I remember the one time. Well, the difficult for your, uh, was, you also went through some yeah. difficulty with your parents. Is that right? Oh, yeah. my my. Uh, well, they totally, they totally disowned me. Tried, my father tried to kill me, and, and well, he says he didn't try to kill her, I'd be dead. And I tend to believe that. But, um, yeah, I was totally disowned. It was interesting because that partially laid the, the uh, foundation for me to become an abused woman later in years. But getting back to the, the housing situation, I remember the first time, we, we actually lived together twice. The first time, at our first apartment, uh, it was a thing where I called up and they said, yeah, they had an apartment, and we showed up together, and all of a sudden they didn't have an apartment. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was going on. It was the 60s. It was Detroit in the 60s, right before mm-hmm. the race riots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so I was living in Baltimore originally, but he talked me into moving to Detroit, and, of course, once I did, then he acted like he didn't do that. But, so, yeah, um, it was Detroit in the 60s. So, what All right, that so you guys, you you guys are falling in love. You guys are dating, uh, and... Um, you are, uh, you know, there was obviously some, some good years and some good times. Talk to us about that. Um, well, I don't know how to put it to you or really how to explain this, but I don't think we ever dated, first of all. You said that before, so I want to comment about that because I don't know if anybody else in at that back in that time, in that age, in that place was dating, as we know it today, like, you know, every other Friday you go out to dinner and movie or something. We never did that. Mm. We, like, uh, we, like, fell in love the first night and that we spent the night together. And he had me, they had, took me with him to New York three weeks later and then had me move to Detroit. And we just, like, were, I was living with, Paul's girlfriend at the time trying to, you know, find an apartment or whatever and see what he was doing because he was um, in a situation which he lied to me about and told me, see, he was, he was I guess, still married uh, to his first wife, but he told me that he wasn't married. In fact, he showed me pictures of his two little girls when I first met him. One was one year old and one was just born. Um, no, one was two and one was one. And I said, well, why didn't you marry the mother? And he said, mm. he said, I said, where's the mother? He said, she's dead. So I said, well, why didn't you marry her? And he said, well, I'm not even going to tell you what he said. You have to read it in the book because it's not nice. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to repeat it. But anyway, so when I get back to Detroit, this is what I find. 
and um, so that was back and forth and back and forth going on for a while. Then we got our first apartment, and we lived in our first apartment together for like nineteen, twenty, almost two months, two years. Mm-hmm. And um, can you take me back to the time uh, when you knew you had fallen in love with David? What was that moment in time for you like when you fell in love? When did you know? Oh, that's hard to say because uh, it wasn't an it wasn't an, a moment that I could know. It was just when I begun to realize that I always wanted to be a, a, in his company. He was, he was he was uh, he was he was interesting. He was funny. He was exciting. He was crazy. <laughs> crazy. Um, and it just seemed like we belonged together. And um, he was going through a lot of stuff then. He was blown up at Motown. The Temptations were blown up, and his head was blown up. And uh, he was getting into, involved in all all kinds of other activity, including outside of the relationship we were in. I came home from work one day, and he was gone, lock, stock, and barrel. I was three months pregnant at the time, so that was not a fun time. And when did, I mean, the, when did the abuse or the change in his behavior uh, began to show up? Um, in in your relationship, was that something that you flagged from the beginning and just kind of no. wrote it off? No, and I'm glad you gave me an opportunity to say this because this is important. Uh, I came from an abusive childhood myself, as I found out later. So did he. Um, but coming from an abusive childhood, it being abused was normal. So when I got with David, it wasn't any. Uh, I had no flags. When I look back now, knowing what I know, I should have seen, I would have known that he was physically, he was not physically, but he was always verbally and emotionally abusive. Mm. But I didn't recognize it as abuse because mm-hmm. that's what I was used to. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was okay with me. That was just normal. But um, that is supported by the fact that I had no family. At that point, you know, because I said I was I was excommunicated from the family, mm-hmm. so he knew. I mean, typically, now I'm not. I mean, it's it's typical modus operandi for the predators to cut the weak one out of the herd and you know focus in on that one. But once he had me isolated from my family and friends, um, he knew he had free reign to do with me and to me whatever he chose to do because not only was I only 20 years old, but I was, as I said earlier, very naive. I was easily malleable. I was malleable. He could mold me. In fact, he did any way he wanted me to to be. I had never been on a plane at, at that point in my life or outside of 150-mile radius of Baltimore. I had never seen a, a marijuana joint in my life until the second time I went to New York with David. Um, and it terrified me and horrified me, and I was ready to run screaming out of town. Um, but he, um, he, he knew he could manipulate me 
um, because he was much more worldly than I was. Like I said, he'd been out on the road since he was 14. Mm -hmm. So he was quite uh, skilled already in this uh, art of manipulation. So, so, so the question is, is that you you didn't see the red flags because you were abused, uh, but there obviously was a point where there was an aha moment and a wake-up call where even what you had considered to be normal was no longer normal. All right, well, I would have to fast forward then to around 1970. Now, on a side note, I will add that I knew with quotation marks of other uh, situations where he had beaten other women. I heard of it. I heard it happen, although I couldn't see it in the hallway outside of our one apartment, our first apartment. And, um, you know, but I didn't know any of this stuff because I didn't really see it, and I was sticking my head in the sand. Because I didn't, like every other abused woman, I don't think it will happen to me. It won't happen to me. Okay, so now when it actually started becoming physical was like 1970. Mm-hmm. And that's when, um, a little to my, un, unbeknownst to me, I, I still to this day don't know how many years David was using cocaine. Some say 20 years. Um, but he kept it away from me to the point I was living in a house with him. We had a kid. We had dogs. We had cat. We had... He had horses, we had a garden, we had a couple of cars and motorcycles, and we had a life. We did grocery shopping, we did, you know, lawn work, and I never knew he was using cocaine. Mm-hmm. Not to the degree, not ever really to the, because I wasn't familiar with it. I never used it myself. I knew he was smoking weed, I knew he was drinking. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't see that it was a problem. But... One, when the physical abuse started in 1970 is when I knew. The first time he slapped me, open-handed slap, and knocked me all the way across the living room and busted my eardrum. That was the day, that was the beginning of the end. Because mm-hmm. for, the, for the first time, I was afraid of him. I, until then, I'd never been afraid of him. I am in, that, in that moment, did you make the decision to leave or to no. get counseling or what no. what, what went no. on in your mind? What were your emotions? I didn't know. He, I, see, he had just come back off of the road, mm-hmm. and he had been on cocaine binge for God knows. I don't know. He was coming down off of this cocaine binge, and he was crazy, and I didn't know what I was in, involved in. And I was at the house, and he came in, and he, he didn't, what he saw, he didn't, some people there, but he, whatever, I don't know. You, there doesn't have to be any real reason. So he attacks me and knocks me all the way across the room, and that was the moment. That I did not know why he did it, because I didn't know he was high. So I didn't know that I was, I did not make a decision at that moment, okay, I'm going to leave or anything else, because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know it was a defining moment. And I thought it was just a mood he was in because he came home and found whatever he found at the house that he wasn't happy with. Mm. So now, and, of course, nowadays, you, now you know the difference, that that would not be 
uh, just the mood he's in, that would be a defining moment now. But you didn't know that then. So because no, of, I didn't know that then. Yeah. I didn't know it then. And guess what? I left over the next period of the next four years, I left three times. Well, this is the fourth time that I've been gone now since 1974. But I left three times and went back. Okay, let's talk about that because this is this is empowering to a lot of women who are suffering right now in a relationship mm-hmm. with domestic violence abuse uh, relationship. Talk to us mm-hmm. about that first time you left and the time you came back and why and what was all of the rationales, all the emotions and psychology that you were dealing with mm-hmm. that kept you coming back to this quote unquote addiction to abuse. Yeah. Oh, you don't even have to put quote unquote. I, I was totally addicted. I was okay. addicted to, uh, I guess you could say him. I was addicted mm-hmm. to being with him. Um, well, that's why I can't really judge him for having an addiction because I had one too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about it is the first time I left, which was with a broken nose and busted ear drum, and, I mean, keep in mind I had no place to go. That's one mm-hmm. thing. There were no shelters back then. The family had disowned me. And typically what typically what they will do is keep you financially dependent upon them. I never had a dime of my own. Had a baby, his baby. I had no, you know, way to go anywhere and nowhere to go. So um, the first time I stayed gone three weeks and... I needed to go back. I I felt like it was a a phase of something he was going through, and I knew what was going on in his career at the time. He had been blacklisted by Motown at the point at that point. Hmm. He was frustrated as you could be. He was broke and didn't want anybody to know it, especially me. But looking back, I know he was broke at the time. <clears throat> he didn't have to buy cocaine. All his good so-called friends kept him supplied because they have no life, and that makes them important, you see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so uh, I knew he loved me. I couldn't understand why he was mistreating me. And psychologically, I was going through a whole thing of like, well, you know, he was always telling me I was making him do it. That's what they tell you. Mm. I still sit. I sit here and see him two days ago on some TV show talking about, yeah, you make me into a monster. You make me. You make me rage. Oh, that is so much bull. Mm-hmm. Like women mm-hmm. are still today. They're still putting up with that crap and believe in that crap. See, he had inculcated me, and, it, and I kept telling him, no, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. You must have me confused with somebody else because I do not like. I'm not a bee freak. That's what they used to call it back then. <clears throat> well. Um, I, I I went back, and I don't know if I really processed anything. I just went back because I needed to go back because I was addicted. I didn't know what, was, what it was then. It was addiction. The second time I left, again, for three weeks, this time I left from a hospital bed, and this time it was near Christmas. And um, I had gotten permission to come back to, to run away to my family as long as I didn't, quote, unquote, don't bring the half-breed. Mm. So each time I would go back, it would be like, oh, God, if I just can get out of here alive this time, 
you know, you know, one more time, and then I would go back. Why did I go back? Because I wa- I finally got tired of people asking me, why do you go back? And I started really stop. I wanted to stop having to defend myself, and I came to the, be able to say I went back because I wanted to go back. I wanted. I did not want. I wanted him to change. I thought he was going to change. I thought he was mm-hmm. going through a phase. Mm-hmm. I knew him before, and I knew him. You know, then he was going through this whole crap of Motown, and and I said, okay, well, I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to I'm going to kill it with love. We have a baby. Mm-hmm. Where can I go? I don't want my mm-hmm. child, let alone a biracial child, to be raised without his father, who was not that good of a father. Quite as kept, he beat his baby too. So I was going to say, how old were you, how old was your son at that time? He was ten when we finally left. I call it escaped. So he was four to ten during this period of time. So he wasn't just and, abusive to you; he was abusive to your son as well. Yes, and. Um, so we didn't know what cocaine was doing, what it was, or what it was doing. It would be just be like, I thought Daddy said he wasn't going to do that to you anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but he lost his temper, you know, because I was enabling. I was codependent. I didn't know. The first paragraph of my book says, uh, or now I've rewritten it, but the first paragraph used to say, don't call me codependent. Because back in those days, we didn't, that buzzword was not even invented at that time. That's some mm-hmm. psychobabble. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. back in those days, we were just in love, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Stupid, mm-hmm. stupid love. Okay, so, like, I left the baby with him because I really was trying to break all ties. But because, like I said, it was Christmas and that's the hardest time of the year, emotionally anyway. So here I was back in Baltimore without my baby, and my family really wasn't there for me. They just paid for a ticket, that's it. And I wanted to go back, so I did. I went back at Christmas time to my baby and my husband, or quote-unquote husband, to my life, my family, my house. Mm-hmm. I missed my house. I wanted that to work. I went back because I loved him, and I believed, and I still believe, that he loved me um, to the degree that he could. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? Well, not only was he a cocaine addict that I didn't know about, but I didn't find out until about um, uh, six-ish years, five years ago, what kind of childhood he had had. His father um, used to beat him with the bullwhip, is that right? His his father, who was a preacher, used to beat those three boys with an eight-foot leather whip. Wow. Yeah, and David was already a sickly little, he was the youngest of the three. He was sick, he had rheumatic fever, he was runt, you know. So when I found that out five, six years ago, I was compelled to rewrite the book because Mm. I had a whole different perspective on things. And that's all also because the first time I wrote the book, I wasn't saved. I was just really full of a lot of bitterness and resentment, and I just want to get a lot of stuff off my chest. Let's talk about that transition. Let's talk about that and bring that in because you wrote the book initially. It was a very, it was basically your angry book. It was like your book of not necessarily revenge, but this is just I'm angry, I'm mad, I want to get this out, and this is how I feel. And and there was a certain level of catharsis with that. But then, uh, as you found uh, the Lord, you found uh, your way. uh, You found forgiveness. 
for both yourself and I would assume David. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Well, you know, yes. Um, and how the Lord did that was uh, the book that David's oldest brother or half brother, but for all intents and purposes, brother wrote about their childhood had been out for some years before I read it. I before I read it, but when I did read it four or five years ago, um, six years ago, whatever it was now, and I really found out what kind of childhood he had had. By that time, I was a grown woman, and I was more educated. I was wiser and noticed there's a difference between being smart and being wise and being educated. Mm-hmm. I was I was wiser, and I... I um, I just had had more experience in life, life experience. And when I found out, I mean, I found out a lot of people in the world were being abused, not just me as a child and not just me as living with David, but abuse was a common thing. And so when I found out what kind of, I had developed into a compassionate person in the course of events. When I read about his childhood, all the anger and bitterness and resentment that I had had toward him for the way he mistreated me and the baby was resolved and dissolved and replaced by compassion for that little boy. Because he was just an, he didn't, you know, I almost see my childhood as uh, objectively from a distance as I do with David's childhood. Mm-hmm. I, I, haven't, I have compassion for, for that for that little boy, for that little helpless boy, um, just like I do for my own little baby Jenna, I call her, and for my son when he was a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, children, they're just innocent. So because <clears throat> it was, a, I was able to, through the Holy Spirit, um, I had instant forgiveness. It was instant, just like that instant compassion, forgiveness, um, and uh, redemption. I knew, I mean, I didn't want to rewrite the book. I was so sick of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and it took 12 years even to get itself published. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Holy Spirit kept on bugging me for a couple of three years, and I won't even get all the details of that right now, but it, the book had to be rewritten after I was saved, and the title had to be changed. The cover had to be changed to focus off of David, off of me, onto uh, the silhouette of the baby, as you see it now, being held up to the sky, and it's called Delivered from Temptation because I was delivered from the bitterness and anger and resentment. I was delivered from the uh, everything you're delivered from when you get saved. And I was also delivered from the bondage of the relationship because unforgiveness is what holds you in a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, what holds you? What holds you in the past is unforgiveness. So, uh, it wasn't anything that I was capable of doing. Trust me, I know it was beyond me. It came strictly from God because I was a girl walked up to me one day at a, a book signing I was at, and, the, uh, and she kept circling the desk and circling the table rather. And finally, she came up to me. Nearly, we were closing up. Did, and apparently it turns out she was in an abusive relationship and the guy was there. He just wasn't by her side because they were walking around different tables. But she came like, she said, how did you, ever, did you ever forgive him? Mm. Um, I said, yeah. how did, she said, how did you ever forgive him? 
And it's hard for me to share that because it was the Holy Spirit. I, I never was able to forgive David prior to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was not. I held. I still had a lot of bitterness and resentment years and years and years later. Um, so when you meet so, young women who are, are, are in abusive relationships, what advice do you give them? Well, somebody asked me that on a radio interview a couple of months ago, and my first response was, save money. Um, but the, one of the co-hosts reminded me, like I said to you earlier, there were no shelters back in those days. And when I left, I finally left. The last time I left, I had $6. Um, but it was down to a matter of life and death at that point. His or mine, I didn't care. Somebody was going to die. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it got very serious at that point. So um, she reminded me they have shelters now. So my thing was back in those days so many times I didn't have any money to go anywhere because I, I, like I said, keep you financially dependent. And... Um, Save money, squirrel away some money, know what you're going to take when you get the chance to make your escape. they got these shelters now. There's always help. You can always reach out now to the 800 number for domestic violence and um, just know that there is hope. You don't have to stay in an abusive relationship. Um, he's not going to change. No, he's not. No, he's not. You can't believe me. Because you think it's not going to happen to you, and it's going to get it's going to get better, and it's not going to get better. It does accelerate. It does it does get worse. I, he he went the first time he hit me, which was like like I said, an open handed slap. But his hand was so strong and long, and it covered the whole side of my head and busted my eardrum. The last time that he beat me up four years later was all night because he had been on cocaine all day uh, for three days or whatever. It was an all-night, and then stop and take a break and start again. And I'm already black and blue, and at this point I'm, like, totally uh, numb emotionally, physically, everything else. And he's straddling me on the bed, punching me in the face with his fist. And I say, there's blood running down my throat, stop. And he says, die, bitch, die. Which is the chapter in the book that you have. That's the actual chapter. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only time in our whole entire relationship that he ever called me any kind of word outside of my name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was completely Let me ask you this, Did you ever call the police? Did you ever get law enforcement involved? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I called the police. Several and what times. happened? What was their response? <laughs> well, their response was come to the house. Uh, push me behind the door while they give him a high five and get an autograph. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, Detroit at the time, especially the justice system, the police department, the entertainment industry was all one big boys club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, if, I, if, if the female entertainers object to that characterization, I can say it was just one little small town all hooked up together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they were all David Ruffin fans. He was the mayor of Detroit. I mean, not officially, but you know, yeah, he he had his way with mm-hmm. the officials and everybody else, women officials, you name it. And um, so 
you know, I don't want to sound like a um, uh, whatever. I don't even know what word to use. But this always when people ask me that, it always reminds me of the O.J. Uh, Nicole Simpson situation mm-hmm. and what she said afterwards, or not what she said afterwards, but what she had said over the years of like uh, saying that. Um, you know, she they would call the police. She would call the police, and, and a very similar thing would happen. So I could totally relate to it when she said that's what would happen, because that that mm-hmm. was the same kind of time frame. Sure. And um, so, yeah, that's what would happen. They they would they would. Uh, well, here's an example. One year, I went down. I mean, many times I tried to collect paternity. I mean, not paternity, but child support. Okay, many years I tried to collect child support before we were living together, after we were living together, maybe even during, I don't know. But um, I never could collect child support. And one of the times that I went down to court and David went to court with me, or not with me, but let me down there, um, there was a, my public defender and David and his attorney disappear, all three black men disappear into the back into, let's say, the bathroom, and uh, all of a sudden my three-inch file, or now maybe two-inch file, that was, that the public defender took with him disappears. Mm, wow. You know, I can hear the high fives from here. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and David's last girlfriend, who is still a friend of mine, who had the what they call the horse ranch in South Lyon, was actually just uh, a trailer in the middle of a field a couple of horses, but she found it after David died in her barn, my folder. Mm. My, wow. my, so, yeah, that's just how, yeah, that's how it was. I had no support from the police either. Um, so let me, let me ask you this, Jenna. Um, when you are uh, dealing with abuse that's systemic, uh, and, and cyclical, uh, ongoing, uh, and you, for whatever reason, uh, whether it's in your situation finding the Lord and getting out or, um, uh, you know, almost losing your life and having to get out, whatever those reasons are, what does that do to you in relation to moving on and possibly getting into or attracting another relationship. Did you do you heal enough so that you don't attract the same thing in a different set of clothing? Uh, or, or, or walk me through that process because a lot of women I think are saying, well, you know, okay, I, I've gotten out of this abusive relationship, but am I going to attract the same thing? Ah, well, there's the me before salvation and the me after. So in one. I can answer that um, from a couple of different perspectives. One, okay. I do believe you attract. I do believe you attract where you're at. Um, so the type of men that I attracted, including David, um, was because I was messed up, and um, not spiritually evolved. So I attracted somebody that was not spiritually evolved. Um, which is why I think it's important that you don't jump into another relationship right away because you need to, and for me it was the first time that I ever spent any time on my own because I went mm-hmm. from the parents to 
or our roommate thing for a year and then into the relationship with David. And um, so I had never really had any time to get to know myself. So it was important for me to have a relationship with myself, and I did that for many years, because knowing that I was going to attract whatever level I was at, whatever vibratory rate I was at, without, I mean, I'm ending a sentence in a preposition, but, you know, uh, I didn't want to attract, I wanted to be as evolved as I could be, because I didn't want to attract anything less than awesome. You know, because that's, uh, you will gravitate toward the same kind of people if you want to. So there's a level of healing that needs to take place after the escape, if you will, after the great escape. There's mm-hmm. a gestation period of where you need to heal to become a completely mm-hmm. new person, psychologically mm-hmm. and, and emotionally, uh, mm-hmm. before you let somebody else into your heart. First, you have to believe you're worthy. Because mm-hmm. they're going to keep telling you you're not. They're going to keep telling you, and they're going to speak curses over you. David spoke a curse over me. I, I, I ruined you for any other man, you know, and I rebuked that. I'm not receiving that. But for years I did. For years mm-hmm. I did. And um, in in one respect, in, in my particular case, there's a certain factor that's very difficult to deal with in as much as he was, David Ruffin, quote unquote, as opposed to other women's situation with Joe Blow, because they don't have to hear somebody say to them, which is a man that I was really, really interested in, said to me, "What I'm going to do with David Ruffin's woman?" Mm. Five. This was like six, seven years ago, long after he'd been dead, long after you know we'd been apart. But there's that factor, and in that respect. Um, that's where the curse lies. And the man that I'm going to wind up with is going to be a man that's secure in his own uh, sexuality, his own masculinity, and that that's not going to intimidate him. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for other women who are not involved with a quote-unquote celebrity, um, I mean, whether 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 you're Christian, or not, like you said earlier, whether but you need to get counseling. You need so many years to be unbrainwashed, mm-hmm. debriefed from all the years that he convinced you that you're a piece of scum, mm-hmm. and it was your mm-hmm. fault, and you're not working. You get what you deserve, and you deserve this because that's where that's what I hear a lot of women say. And even if they don't verbally say it, their actions show it because mm-hmm. they believe that that's. That's they can't do any better. And a lot of cases of drugs are involved now. For me, that was another chance that I had. A lot of women don't have because I was not involved on the drug part of it at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, had I been, and we were doing cocaine together, and um, that was, and I was not taking care of myself, and I didn't care about myself. And I left that, and him, and the relationship beat me down to, like, a former, a shadow of my former self, or even my future self, better yet. And then we were, he was gone, whether he'd be dead, or I escaped, or he deserted me, quote-unquote, whatever the case may be. Then the woman is still going to have to deal with 
the disaster or the devastation that is now her. Mm-hmm. There's, when drugs are involved. Now, for me, I was blessed that there was not that was not the case. But counseling, I, I mean, it's got to be counseling. Um, if Jesus doesn't come into your life, I mean, I asked Jesus into my life like so many other times, and it just never happened for me. But and finally, the, the time that it finally did happen, which was in 2008, 2004, rather, been eight years. Um, you know how you say. I uh, confess my sin. I ask you, Jesus, to come in to be the Lord of my life and come into my heart. And this time I said, bypass my mind and come into my heart. And it was like it was an open sesame. It was like the magic words that Jesus had been waiting for to come from me because my brain, my mind, had always been a problem. I were always, I am an over super analytical person to mm-hmm. a fault. To a fault. Um, so once it finally, quote unquote, took the counseling that I got then was Christian counseling. But if it's not, if a person's not a Christian or if they uh, aren't a Christian yet, um, I, I still recommend counseling. Uh, women's shelters, first of all, for your first stop, get that 800 number, and. Um, Get out of there. Uh, find a way to figure out when he's not going to be there. That's what I did the first three times. I just knew when he was going to be gone. And I escaped. And I would be packing stuff like right under his nose, and he would not know because in my brain I was packing stuff. In certain mm-hmm. places I would put stuff in, mm-hmm. in the dresser over here. And when I get my chance and I get my suitcase, I'm going to grab this pile and this pile. And in the end, when I finally left, I had a VW Bug at the time, Super Beetle. The only thing, I, I mean, I stuffed it full. Well, the last time, like I say, the fourth time I didn't sneak. I just said, well, I guess you know I'm leaving now, you know, because I, it was obvious. I mean, I was just tired of going through the motions. Um, and so when I, he says, uh, if you think, I, he, he said, if you think I'm going to help you leave, you're crazy. So he kept me there for three days when, like, blocked the park, blocked the driveway with the limo. Um, took the baby to the store and didn't come back. Tell me, I'm going to go get you some money from the bank and and didn't come back. You know, asked him to help me take my luggage downstairs. That's when he said, I'm not going to help you leave me. I said, well, I'm, you've been helping me leave you every day, and I threw the luggage down the stairs. So, um, you know, first well, you have you know, to make, figure you know, out where you're going to go. We, um, the, the name of the book, the title of the book is Deliver from Temptation. <clears throat> I uh-huh, absolutely yeah. uh, have to ask you a favor because we're coming to an hour, uh, and uh-huh. I have probably a whole other hour of questions <laughs> to ask <laughs> you because this is a very uh, serious topic, uh, a very rich uh, and meaningful uh, subject matter. Uh, what I would like to do is have you come back on the show, and let's do a part two, and uh, maybe it, because I have so much to talk to you about, about, you know, you had talked to, uh, earlier, you had mentioned um, uh, the half-breed, which I assume was your son, when your family was disowning you and your, your, your child. I want to talk about that, talk about your son, maybe even have him come on the show, but also talk about the last days of David Ruffin, uh, but then how you blossomed over the years uh, and rediscovered and recovered yourself uh, to be the woman that you are today. So, 
So uh, would you agree to come back on the show? Oh, on one condition. You read one the condition. book first. You've got to read the book first because it's obvious that you haven't read the book. I read the book. You did. But I'm, I'm talking to you from the perspective of people who have not that want to and oh, should. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's important for okay. them to know enough information so that they go out and pick up this book. Because, you know, it's one of those things where I believe that somebody's life, your life might be the only Bible that somebody else reads. You don't know who's going to listen to this to this interview and get to that point where they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, enough is enough, and they, they, they will hit their four years or whatever it is symbolic to you, to them, they're going to pick up that book, and that's going to be the turning point for their life. And so that book might be their Bible before they actually pick up an actual Bible. You understand what I'm saying? That's right. No, that's right. Do I have time to give you my website? Absolutely. Because they can buy that? the book there. They can buy the book there. They can look at all the family pictures. They can look at my testimony of videos, and they can uh, read my biography and find out more about me. And the website is www, of course, dot Jenna, that's with a G and two N's, so it's G-E-N-N-A, Ruffin, dot com, Jenna Ruffin, dot com. Fantastic, yes. my dear. Uh, and so, so yes, the answer is yes, I would love that. It's, you're right, it's very, it's a very com- complicated um, situation, life story and subject and this is not the only subject in my life. That's why I wanted you to read the book. It's really complicated, and you can't cover it in an hour, that's for sure. That is absolutely for certain, but I'm going to dedicate uh, uh, quality time uh, to you because I believe in this. I believe in your mission. I believe in your, uh, as I say, your recovery and your rediscovery. Uh, and, uh, you know, also to uh, have an opportunity for your son to uh, 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 be known with his beautiful voice and his beautiful music. Uh, and how he's gifting the world. So I want you to come back, and uh, thank you for being with me today. Uh, and, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the book is well, thank delivered you. from – you're very welcome. The book is delivered from Temptation. Uh, the web address is JennaRuffin.com, G-E-N-N-A-R-U-F-F-I-N.com. All right, my dear. We'll talk soon. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Felipe. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You got it, love. You too. Bye-bye.